Holly Rowe, you were in Iowa City this past Sunday as the country watched the number two ranked women's basketball team, the Indiana Hoosiers, go up by two points against the Iowa Hawkeyes with just 1.5 seconds remaining. And before that final play, what were you thinking? What were you watching for from your vantage point? Well, number one, there's an awesome rule in women's basketball that allows people to call a timeout and advance the basketball. So you know they're going to be in their own half court. You know Iowa has one of the best coaches in the country and Lisa Bluter, and and they have Caitlin Clark. When you have Caitlin Clark, you have a chance. Here on the side, keep your eye on number 22. But, you know, 1.5 is really quick to come off a screen, try to get open, and then get a good look. And so as you look at that play develop, it's kind of shocking. Her uh, senior, Monica Sinano, sets this monster screen, and Caitlin gets the look she needs. But even though she gets the look, she's falling away. It's off one leg, off balance, and it is just crazy. And I'm like, there's no way and then it falls. Martin looking, here's Clark, she fires, and goes! She hit it! Wow! It was wild. And when you're there, like feeling the moment, not just watching it, but feeling it now, how do you describe it? It almost seems surreal. Like, did that really just happen? That doesn't even seem real. You know, it was a sold-out crowd. There have been five sellouts in Iowa history for women's basketball. Four of them have come since Caitlin Clark stepped onto campus. So she has <laughs> quickly become, like, must-watch, drama-filled, swag city basketball. And so I don't think anyone in the building was surprised that it's her that hits that shot, but it was a high level of difficulty shot. And so when it falls and they really do win and there really was enough time, you know, she got the shot off with 0.8 seconds. I I think it was just like, I can't believe it happened. I can't believe it happened, but I can believe it was Caitlin that made it happen. (laughs) You know, that, that kind of feeling. Yeah, and it felt to me, it felt like the cementing of of a legend. I mean, we talk in college sports all the time about these moments. As we look ahead to all sorts of awards and, and just how these players are going to be remembered, this felt like her moment. And you got a moment with her, of course, immediately after the game, in your capacity as reporter. When that leaves your fingertips, what's going through your head? Uh, you know, honestly, I thought it was money. So when, when I what did that moment say to you about the kind of evolution you've been witnessing here over a couple of years now in Caitlin Clark? There's a couple of things I love about the moment. First thing I love about the moment is she is an unapologetic woman. She didn't just like hit the shot and then, you know, like, oh, you know, sort of get excited about it. She runs to the student section. She puts her arms in the air, like, let's go. Runs around the court, grabs her teammates, you know, and then she collects herself and is a good sport, goes through the handshake line. But she is embracing the moment. She is so swaggy. She is so riled (laughs) up. I think that's what makes it even more fun is it's not like... 
this polite, well-behaved woman. Like, what, no. what is it we say? Well-behaved women rarely make history. <laughs> she, she is living it and loving it and encouraging people and firing the crowd up. And I kind of love how she's owning that moment. It's just the coolest to be in someone else's joy like that. The prediction I'm about to make here doesn't even feel like going out on a limb at this point. But it is this show's firm belief now that the face of March Madness this year, men's or women's, is the voice you just heard talking about the financial security of her jumper like a minute ago. Caitlin Clark. And so today, we ask one basketball Hall of Famer, Holly Rowe, Tell us the story of a college player who might just be headed in that same direction. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Friday, March 3rd. And this is ESPN Daily. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So, Holly Rowe, it is conference tournament time now in college basketball, and the women's game has the Iowa Hawkeyes, aforementioned, playing their first game of the Big Ten tournament later today. And again, yes, everybody is going to be watching to see if Caitlin Clark can one-up herself. But for those of us who have not seen her play nearly as much as you have, how would you describe her game, like the style of play that she brings? So I've been thinking about this a lot because a lot of people are comparing her to Steph Curry, you know, because she can hit the tough shot. Caitlin Clark from the logo! What can Caitlin Clark do? She can hit the deep logo three. She pulls up from anywhere. Holy smokes, another deep three from Caitlin Clark. Incredible. What did she she do? What did she just do? She's got that kind of flavor that Steph Curry has. But I think a better comparison to me is if Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi had a baby, it's Caitlin Clark. And and I'm just (laughs) totally serious about that. A terrifying baby to contemplate. A terrifying baby. Or, or a miraculous, amazing baby, because like she has these moments of composure and running the offense. She's got a super high court IQ of knowing what, when, making plays happen. And she really reminds me of Sue Bird. She's a big guard. And then she's got this flavor for what, when in the game. And so it really reminds me of Sue Bird and how she sees the floor and how she mm. runs a team. But then she pairs it with the swagalicious. Can I say shit talking if I can't edit you that out? You absolutely can. You absolutely can and should. Okay, shit talking in your face, fist pumping, swagalicious, 
vibe of Diana Taurasi. And she pairs that with hitting these impossible shots and these big moment shots. Look at this! Wow! Caitlin Clark, the Jordan Shrug! We don't know how she did it. She's not afraid of the moment. She loves the moment. And, and that just really reminds me of Diana Taurasi and her ability to score from anywhere, score a lot of different ways, but then add the flavor and the competitive fire and juice. So I just think she's like this perfect complement and blend of both of them. Yes, she has her mother's uh, talking ability in the scouting report, which is dead on. I mean, it is an earned arrogance, which is something that we, let's be honest, Holly, as you were sort of alluding to, we don't often see it to this degree in women's basketball, right? I mean, I just want to run through some of the beats here just to give it more sort of context. We've seen her get a technical for taunting before. Clark knocks it in and in preparations for this game. And Clark, I think, gets a technical foul. We've seen her revel in the boos from opposing crowds like she's, you know, Russell Crowe and Gladiator. Monica Sonano calming down the young, passionate sophomore Caitlin Clark, who is egging on the crowd. She is not somebody who's afraid of the spotlight getting hotter. Yeah, I think what it is, is she loves the stage. And when she steps onto the court, she is performing on the stage. And I don't think it's a calculated performance. It is a, this is who I am as a competitor. Enjoy it. We were there two weeks ago, a big game against Maryland, and Rebecca Lobo made the comment, she has the crowd on a string. When, when she's going to mm. hit a big shot, the whole crowd <gasps> holds their breath. Like the crowd is in the palm of her hand. Um, yes. So she's a great maestro on a stage, I would say. But I think the thing that I love about it is, you know, for whatever reason, we expect women to be well-behaved in sports. This this has been a really hot topic in women's basketball this year because we have another player in the SEC, Angel Reese, who is demonstrative. You know, she's blocking mm-hmm. a shot with a shoe in her hand and, you know, talking her talk. And, you know, she's getting teed up. And so we actually had a rules call recently with the officiating crew. And this will give you some interesting debate. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Sure. I actually asked the question on our call with our supervisor of officials, is it fair to officiate women um, so they cannot be as emotional and demonstrative as we see men be in the college game? And I thought she had a really good response where she said, we want decorum. We want good sportsmanship. We don't necessarily think it's good how the men are behaving in their game. <laughs> so we want to hold our the women to a higher standard, which I kind of liked that response and I don't necessarily disagree with it. But I don't think we should officiate the emotion of women. I don't think it's fair. I think the women should be able to be exactly who they are. Yeah, look, my perspective on this can be summarized pretty briefly, which is decorum. (laughs) Like, (laughs) fans, Holly, Holly, these moments, these viral moments, these emotional moments are what make this thing, like, not just exciting, but like goosebumpy level exciting. And, and for Caitlin Clark, I mean, the stage presence that you're describing, I mean, it all raises this larger question to me of how does this person in reality, um, absent Sue and Diana getting together, uh, how does she get made, right? Like, when did she first start to play basketball? So she started at a very young age. She was about five years old, and she grew up in Iowa. 
she has an older brother who actually plays football. And she grew up playing with and against her older brother, playing with her family. And she started playing basketball in boys' leagues. So I think until she was in the fourth grade, she was on the boys' teams. And so I just think she kind of grew up, you know, we put young young kids, you know, this is a whole nother psychological podcast, I'm sure, of how we... Yeah how we um, mentor and grow gender as kids, you know, like we expect Mm -hmm. boys to behave this way, girls to behave this way. And that is instilled from a very young age. And because she was playing with the boys, I don't think she had any boxes put around her, no lid on her box. She just got to be Caitlin on this team. So the core of her competitive DNA is playing against the boys and being brave and ferocious and demonstrative. And that's what we're seeing. Yeah. And so in high school, when she gets a little bit older and she's now playing against her future colleagues in the women's game, what's her legend like at that point? Because I imagine there are some stories about a young Caitlin Clark. Yeah, she's becoming a a schoolgirl legend at this point. And I remember um, the freshman season for Paige Beckers, who grew up in Minnesota, but kind of close to the Iowa border. And Caitlin Clark, they were going to face off in the NCAA tournament. And the hype for this matchup was just absolutely insane because these two women had been playing each other since they were little girls, you know, in the AAU circuit. And so they had gotten this kind of legendary status in the high school ranks, you know, long before they ever got to college. And so that fame and that hype um, in the Midwest kind of carried over to college. And so I'd say they're two of the most hyped freshmen we've ever seen you know, come into college basketball because they already had so many followers and so many eyes because of what they'd been doing in high school. And so in terms of her choice to wind up staying at home, how tough a decision was that for Caitlin? It wasn't tough at all. She wanted her family to be able to drive to come and see her play. And that's it. She's super close to her family. You know, we saw her mom in the stands um, after she hits that big game around winner on Sunday, the crowd or the shot cuts to the crowd and there's her mom, you know, making the heart signal with her fingers right back to her daughter on the court. So her family has been able to be at all of her games. You know, her brother is a, is a football player at Iowa State. So he's been just two hours away through both of their college careers. They're very close. And I just think it's been what she wanted. So I don't think it was a hard decision to stay home because her priority was her family being in the stands. But the reason I ask, of course, is because you mentioned Paige Beckers and Paige is out all season because of injuries. But the notion of going to Iowa and not a place like, you know, in her case, a Notre Dame or in Paige's case, a UConn, Iowa, let's be honest, doesn't always get the kind of attention that those other major, more established powers, so to speak, receive. Yeah, um, it, it's interesting. We did some graphics on during our game Sunday. So the... Average ticket price to get into an Iowa women's game has increased 153% since Caitlin got there. Mm. You know, I told you about the sellouts. Is it, it has become a bigger, hotter ticket. But I will say this, in fairness, Iowa has had a really good women's program. So Lisa Bluter's been there 23 years. And they have been a perennial top 20, top 15 program for a long time. And, you know, I remember them having some great battles with Notre Dame when Skylar Diggins was there that I covered some of those games. You know, Megan Gustafson was one of the top scorers in NCAA history, and she played at Iowa. So we've seen Iowa be good before, have a really well-established great program. But I agree with you in that they haven't maybe been as big nationally outside of their region 
And Caitlin's, you know, legend is doing that for them. The first two seasons, Holly, um, of Caitlin Clark's college career, I, I don't know if on an individual level they could have been much better, right? I mean, she leads the nation in scoring two straight years. She's second in the nation this year. She's also leading the nation in assists right now. And she is, yeah, she's contending for National Player of the Year right alongside Aaliyah Boston um, out of South Carolina. And so as we talk about the horse race here and these moments, the equivalent of, you know, Heisman moments, let's use that language here for a second. Does that shot on Sunday that you witnessed up close and personal, does that cement her claim to this award, do you think? Or how does this go? I don't know if it cements it because I do think performances in the conference tournaments coming up will matter. But I think it really pushes her into the forefront of the discussion. And the, here's the only reason why. I I just saw Aaliyah Boston on Thursday then went and saw Caitlin on Sunday. I've seen them play back-to-back. I've seen them up close and personal. This might be one of the toughest decisions voters will have to make. The reason why is they're very different. You know, Aaliyah is a post. Um, Her numbers are down. She's not even leading her team in scoring this year. But her impact on the floor, you know, she is getting literally doubled or triple teamed nearly every possession. She doesn't get enough credit for the defense that she plays and impacts inside the paint. If you voted for Aaliyah Boston, you wouldn't be wrong. But I do think what Caitlin is doing this year, you know, she's averaging just under 30 points per game, also leading the nation in assists. And that's really a unique blend of scoring and assists. We just don't see it happen often. Oh, my gosh. Behind the back. Are you kidding? Caitlin Clark. And... I also think that if you kind of look at it like an MVP type of conversation, when Caitlin Clark is off the floor for Iowa, they struggle to function. And when she's on the court, they are one of the top 10 teams in the country. They finish second in the Big Ten. They just beat the Big Ten champions in Indiana on Sunday. And I just think the impact she has on her team in this game is greater than Aaliyah's because Aaliyah has people all around her. Zaya Cook is the leading scorer on that team. Um, she has help. She's got outside shooters. There is a lot more depth and help for Aaliyah Boston on South Carolina than Caitlin Clark has on Iowa. So I think it makes it even more stunning what Caitlin's doing without the, you know, five-star players all around her. But then you add in the soft factors, you might call them, Holly, wherein Caitlin Clark is not just transcending women's college basketball and not just transcending college basketball, but she's getting attention from Kevin Durant, who is waxing poetic about watching her play back in high school. Always had the ball in her hands. Everybody was playing off of her. She just commanded the whole game. I was like, who the hell is this? <laughs> she is nice. It was like, oh, she's the best player in the country. I was like, oh, damn, I see it now. <laughs> she is, yes, cracking into the brain of Stephen A., who was wondering, and he's not alone in this, if, yes, Steph Curry is the male Caitlin Clark, actually. Do I need to call you the the female version of Steph Curry, or do I need to call Steph Curry the male version of Caitlin Clark? I mean, which one is it? Which one is it? I love that. And it's not just the media, by the way. We have seen Trey Young, LeBron James, Patrick Mahomes, all of them tweeting their reverence of what Caitlin Clark has done so far. And yeah, amid all of it, she's she's not shying away, right? She is seizing this insane moment. 
Yeah, there's a there's a trite statement, but I think it's actually very perfect in this case is game recognizes game, right? If you have game, you recognize game. And so I think it is saying something that the very best players in basketball on any stage are recognizing just how good she is. And I think that's all you have to say is game recognizes game. And that's what we're seeing from these male athletes. She deserves the attention she's getting. And it's the players who are deciding the attention that she's getting because game recognizes game, period. Yeah, there really is an aspect of the tribe has spoken here. Like nothing, nothing feels more meritocratic, you might argue, than a game winning three against the number two team in the country with 1.5 seconds left. Like feels, feels unimpeachable in that way. Yeah, the people have spoken and the people that are speaking are the NFL MVP and Super Bowl champions. (laughs) Like they know what it takes to perform on this stage in these big moments. And they understand how great what she's doing is because they've had to do it themselves. That's what's cool about it. And now that stage elevates from here on out. And the Iowa Hawkeyes are among the favorites to win their conference tournament starting tonight. They're also assured a spot in the NCAA tournament. Uh, which is the biggest stage of all. And so as all of this gets going now, what do you imagine we're going to see? Yeah, I think that Iowa is poised that they can make a run in the tournament because they have the toughness of Monica Sinano, who's not getting enough credit nationally. You know, she's averaging 60% field goals. She's a beast in the post. She's dang near unstoppable. Um, But it's going to come down to hitting shots. You know, they had a recent loss against Maryland. Maryland played a box and one on Caitlin, had somebody face guarding her every second she can breathe. You know, so teams are going to do that. They're going to load up on Caitlin. She's going to be the focus of every defense moving forward, trying to stop her. So she's got to have teammates hit shots. Now we saw her teammates hit big shots on Sunday. She had other players step up and hit big threes. She has to have some help because people are going to be gearing to shut her down. But if they can hit shots and if they can run their offense, Lisa Bluter is a great coach, not just a good coach. Her adjustments in game, her coaching of her team, she's great. I do think Iowa can be poised to make a big run if Caitlin can be special. All right, Holly, after the break, one of us is going to explain what it's like to make the Hall of Fame. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Picture this. You arrive at your hotel. You have an important online meeting lined up with clients from all across the country. You have your laptop open, ready to begin, and the Wi-Fi is so terrible you can't even connect. These type of stressful situations happen all the time, but they don't have to. When you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you have access to their free high-speed Wi-Fi. So you can take care of those critical emails, join your meetings on time, and even unwind by streaming your favorite shows without having to worry. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. 
So, Holly Rowe, I do want to be clear about your role in in all of this, because to say that you cover women's basketball for ESPN is both accurate and obviously an understatement. You have covered pretty much everything, men's and women's college basketball, the NBA, the WNBA, college football, the running of the Bulls. Yeah. And now you are officially, Holly, you're a Hall of Famer. You are the recipient of the Naismith Hall of Fame Kurt Gowdy Media Award, which means that you are headed personally now for enshrinement in Springfield at the Basketball Hall of Fame, which is an incredibly impressive thing. And so since this announcement last week, what has it been like to be, yeah, Holly Rowe Hall of Famer? You know, when I got this award and when they announced this was happening, I don't think it, it processed to me yet. And and as I stood up on the stage, like they did this announcement, you get up on the stage and I was with Pau Gasol and Dwayne Wade. And I was like, <laughs> oh, oh, I, I think this might be a big deal. And then my next reaction, which I'm mad at myself for, but it's a real one of like, wow, I don't know, do I deserve this? Do I deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? Mm. But I got some really cool texts from Coach K, from Tom Izzo, Bill Self, Tara Vandeveer, um, all my WNBA coaches, players, Sue Bird, saying, you deserve this. Congratulations. No one deserves it more. And that that made me feel like, wow, if these legends of the game think I deserve it, then maybe I do. I wish I was a little bit more like Caitlin Clark, though, where I'm like, hell yeah, I deserve this. I should have been, you know, like... <laughs> yeah, like money, that, that Holly Rowe. That's what you should have Yeah, responded. I knew it yeah. was money when I started my career, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but But in truth, this is another instance of game recognizing game. I mean, in a real way. And, and the games you have covered, and you've covered all, all the whole gamut at this point, but are synonymous, I think, with the women's game... I just want you to sort of describe the trajectory of that sport as you have evolved alongside it over the years and the attitudes towards it, too. How how would you describe that for someone who maybe is on the outside looking in? Well, I'm glad you asked that because I have covered both men's and women's college basketball, NBA for 30 years, WNBA for 27 years. So I feel like I have a good perspective on the growth of the game. And for example, women's game, um, in my market where I lived, the University of Utah women didn't have their games on the radio. So when I was just coming out of college, I did a time buy on a radio station and went out and sold the advertising myself. And I got their games on the radio. Now all their games are on the radio. Almost all their games are on TV. So in my short span of a career, we've gone from no coverage to all coverage. Um, you know, we just got a monster rating for the Iowa-Indiana game. Almost a million people were watching that game on Sunday with a lot of competition around it. Um, our game day show got over three 300,000 viewers. We are seeing the tipping point in women's basketball in this country. I credit the WNBA. I think that product is so good and so exciting that that has really captured people. I think when when we were all in shutdown and the pandemic and the only games that were on were the the WNBA and NBA in the bubble, I think a lot of viewers tuned in and we're carrying that momentum right now. So I just think it's huge. I think that, that women's basketball has never been hotter, but I also think it's never been better. It deserves all the attention it's getting. And I would love to see us get to some point in my lifetime where the gender of the highlight, the gender of the game, the gender of the athlete doesn't matter as it comes to how we pay them attention and what platform they get. If it's good basketball, 
put it on. If it's a good highlight, put it on SportsCenter. And that we are not talking about the gender. We're just talking about the performance. That's, that's the next step of where we go. Yeah. I mean, Holly, before I let you go here, um, there is one more historical marker that I wanted to, to unpack with you here. Because tomorrow, as it happens, is the 30th anniversary of Jim Valvano's speech at the 93 SP Awards. Cancer can take away all my physical abilities. It cannot touch my mind, it cannot touch my heart, and it cannot touch my soul. And those three things are gonna carry on forever. And over the subsequent 30 years, his call to arms, Jimmy V's call for our help has, has resonated. We need your help. I need your help. We need money for research. It may not save my life, it may save my children's lives. It may save someone you love. And it's very important. And ESPN has been so kind to support me in this endeavor and allow me to announce tonight, we are starting the Jim, Jimmy V Foundation for Cancer Research. And its and its motto is don't give up, don't ever give up. And this speech, which is iconic at this point, I know you yourself have a personal connection to the V Foundation and to that speech in specific. And if it's okay with you, I was just wondering if you could tell us what Jimmy V and that moment meant to you and what its legacy is as you understand it. I'm I'm glad you asked, and I hope I don't get emotional about it, but um. Honestly, I wouldn't be here talking to you today without the V Foundation. I was going through stage four metastatic um, melanoma and I had inoperable tumors in my lung. And, you know, I had a moment where the doctor said, you need to start thinking about how you're spending your time. You know, the nice way of saying we don't know how much time you have left. Um, I'm really lucky because the V Foundation immediately got me into a doctor at UCLA that they had been funding some of his research studies. And I got into a clinical trial that saved my life. So I got on this immunotherapy that was cutting edge at the time. And that all those pieces had to fit together for me to be here with you today. So the V Foundation funding his research, funding these trials, so I could then benefit from that down the road. I'm here because of the V Foundation. And, you know, Jimmy V used to always say, don't give up, don't ever give up. And for every cancer patient out there, it's really hard. You get down, you're discouraged. It's easy to quit. It's easy to sit on your couch and feel sorry for yourself. But, you know, I would watch his speech. I watched Craig Sager's speech at the ESPYs. Um, I watched Stuart Scott's speech at the ESPYs. And, and I would remind myself, they didn't give up. I better get up and do something with myself. And so I would get up and go to games and work. And I remember going to work with drains sewn into my armpit, you know, after surgeries. But I was working at games and, you know, just a lot of really strenuous, crazy stuff I did to keep working because they told me don't give up because if you give up, then the cancer wins. So um, the V Foundation, I'm, I'm here with you today. I, I hope people will donate because 100% of anything you ever donate to the V Foundation goes directly to cancer research and beating cancer. And, and I'm here because of that today. Holly Rowe, the Hall of Famer. Thank you so much for being with us. This has been a delight. Thanks for having me. 
I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily, and our show is produced by Bradford Craig, Alexander Hyacinth, Mike Johns, Heather Lombardo, Ryan Nantel, Mike Philbrick, Andre Soto, Andy Tennant, Chris Tuminello, and Aaron Vail. Special thanks this week to Deontay Epps, Kendall Majette, Julian Gooden, Mike Drago, and Jackson Angelo. I'll talk to you Monday. <laughs>